Welcome to Healing the Spirit, a space where we awaken our creativity, deepen our connections, and remember who we are through the lens of astrology, archetypes, and art making. I'm your host, Jonathan Coe. Hello everyone, welcome to Healing the Spirit and welcome to this episode. I'm going to be sharing with you some thoughts, some reflections, um, some musings about the coming week and as always, my invitation for you is to co-create a space with me here where you can really start to listen and feel into your own knowing. What do I mean by that? What I mean is, as I'm sharing this, sensations will come up. Maybe it is within your body, or maybe sensations can also happen outside of your body. Maybe as you're listening to me outside, you see the glimmer of the sunlight hitting your window. Or perhaps you see a bird flying by and my invitation for you is not to necessarily rush into trying to conclude with your mind what it means, although that may spontaneously happen, right? But to be with that sensation and to be with the experience of being a being that has these sensations and to just follow that, to just see what happens if you allow yourself to be with these sensations and let them lead you. All right, so the astrology of the week is quite intense, in my opinion. On Monday the 13th, we have the Sun in Scorpio opposing Uranus in Taurus. And simultaneously, we have a new moon in Scorpio, meaning the Sun and the moon meets in Scorpio. And this new moon is conjoined Mars, opposing Uranus. On Wednesday, the 15th, Mercury in Sagittarius will create a sextile to Venus in Libra. On Friday, Mars and the Sun in Scorpio will create a trine to Neptune in Pisces. And on Saturday, the 18th, we have a Mars Kazemi, which means Mars conjoins the Sun in Scorpio. And just for context, the last time we had a Mars Kazemi was on October 8th, 2021, so about two years ago, and that was in Libra. And the next couple Mars Kazemi we have is in Capricorn in 2026 and in Aries in 2028. So why am I telling you all of this, right? Because we are in this period where we're pivoting from having a Mars Kazemi or a Mars cycle, a particular phase of the Mars cycle in detriment, which was in Libra, into dignified placements, right? So this time we have it in Scorpio where Mars is at home. In 2026 in Capricorn, Mars is exalted in Capricorn. And in 2028 in Aries, Mars is also at home. And so already we can sense into that 
we are entering a different era in the Mars story, both within our own lives and within the collective. And so when I really sense into the astrology of the week, in my heart space, what I was experiencing was this three of swords energy. So if any of you have a relationship with the tarot, I invite you to feel into what does the three of swords feel like in my heart space? Maybe even bringing your breath into your heart gently and just sensing into it, inquiring your heart. What does the three of swords bring up for me? To me, the first phrase that came into my mind was the excavation of wounds. Wounds are ways of being with the world that are not sustainable because there's an expenditure whenever there's a wound. Something continues to flow out that is depleting our personal life force energy. Think about it in terms of maybe cutting your finger while chopping vegetables, right? Or falling and scraping your knees during a bike ride. With these small cuts and these small accidents and these small bleeding, maybe the risk is not death. But maybe it is, right? If you think about bleeding of the internal organ or bleeding that can happen within the body, right? That can, if not mitigated immediately, can cause actual death, actual loss of life. When your body is bleeding, the first thing that you need to do is to tend to that wound, right? To clean it up and to stop the bleeding. The stopping the bleeding is so important, right? Excessive bleeding in the physical body can cause death. And so there's this recommendation, right, in the medical community, which I'm not a part of, but I know this for a fact because people talk about this. The recommendation is to apply pressure because that pressure can prevent the cutting off of the blood supply to the limb, right? So let's bring this into our the journey of ourselves as these beings we call human, as well as the journey of the psyche, right? The soul as expressed through the psyche at this moment. Here are some of the questions I want you to contemplate and I want you to ask your soul and your psyche, right? Where is that wound? What happened? How did you get wounded? And here's the real question in my opinion. What do you need right now? What do you need? Do you need that wounding witnessed? Do you need that wounding to have a an outlet or a channel? Does that wounding need to be stopped? Are there places within you that used to hurt, that used to be wounded, that you thought at some point you had completely healed, but right now is perhaps asking you to tend to it? And maybe when this happens to me personally, often my mind doesn't like it. There's a way in which my mind is conditioned, educated, socialized to think that if there's pain and I did what I needed to do to tend to that pain, I should be done with this pain, 
right? I shouldn't be experiencing this pain anymore. This pain should be gone. But my question is, if this pain is showing up again, if this wound is showing up again, maybe even gushing with some blood, what might be the underlying wisdom beneath tending to this wound in a deeper way, or even just tending again to this wound? Something we hear a lot about the healing process, and I'm talking really about the spiritual healing, is that often it is more like a spiral spiral rather than a straight line, right? That we don't just get from point A to point B, but we kind of swirled in the spiral. We continue to come back to similar points, but we just maybe see and experience them from different perspectives, different points in the spiral. What I have found personally as someone who's a devotee to the spiral, to the mystery of this strange, often unconscious, always very deep process, is that staying with the spiral gives you access to something. I don't always know what the something is. I want to say wisdom, but sometimes it's just a well of hurt. Sometimes it's just the abyss. And when one is confronted with that endless abyss, the real question is, what do you want to do? There is a way in which many of us carry around within us deep pain that my argument is that we cannot heal some of these pains within a lifetime. One lifetime is not enough. One body is not enough. And so to me, the key to working with this is how do you allow yourself to descend with skill and perspective? And, and the two are not really separate, right? Sometimes the skill is the perspective. Sometimes the skill is the framework or the cosmology, right? That assists you with that deep dive just so you don't drown into the abyss. Because to me, there is a certain level of skillfulness. If you want to choose aliveness, which I don't believe aliveness is compulsory for everyone. I don't necessarily even think that aliveness is always the right answer for everyone. Right? Everybody needs to feel into what feels the most right for them. And also, for many of us, we do want to be alive because... As souls, we decided to come into these bodies. We decided to have this experience. We decided to be in this world at this time, right? And so something I've noticed for many people who come to me in sessions, bringing these experiences with the spiral, there is absolutely the risk of completely drowning and not coming back up if we don't anchor ourselves in something. And I can't tell you what that something is. But what I can tell you is you need to anchor yourself in something. And to me, this is the true wisdom of Mars and Scorpio, right? Mars is at home in Scorpio. Mars enjoys diving into the depth, right? But without proper preparation, 
the depth is simply going to bring you death. And sometimes death is absolutely necessary. I can think of how many times I go through the process of ego death and I really needed to go through that, right? Sometimes we really need, some parts of us need to die. But this is a space that takes a lot of skill to navigate, that takes a lot of willingness, that takes a lot of perspective to navigate if we are to dive deep for the wisdom. So I'm just going to share some of my own perspectives about this, right? I cannot pretend to know your depth. I cannot pretend to know what you need to go into that depth. And so if at this moment you need a pause and you need to really feel into what does my depth feel like? How do I know I'm in the deep? What do I need to navigate the depths? Then I really welcome you to pause this contemplation and to come back to it another time. If it makes sense to you, feel free to really sit with this question. The point here is not to finish listening to me talk. The point here is to inspire you to inquire and then to live with that inquiry and to see what comes up. So if you ask me, right, this is my take. My take is my anchors are compassion and humor. And I remember one of my teachers, Deborah Kremins, used to say to us all the time, <laughs> there's nothing you cannot do without compassion and humor. And I remember what she said to resonate so deeply the first time I heard it. And many, many years later, it still resonates. And I think this is really the key. This is really the heart of my work, both for myself as well as holding space for others. First and foremost, in tending to these dark places, and I don't mean dark as evil, but rather as places that maybe we haven't explored, that haven't been illuminated. One must bring a lamp. And that lamp, to me, is deep self-compassion. What does it mean to have deep self-compassion? Again, this is a very personal question, right? Because I think there are so many different ways to consider this. And depending on your life experience, depending on who you are, the answer to that will be very different. And I would even say, depending on which period of your life you ask yourself, that answer may shift, right? How self-compassion looks like for me now is so different than 10 years ago. I have a different capacity, I've had different experiences, and so it's natural for the manifestation to feel different. But to me, self-compassion is a choice. To me, self-compassion is a conscious choice to believe that beneath my actions, beneath my strategies, beneath my defense mechanism, there is a desire, there is a search, there's a yearning for love. 
And notice what comes up for you when I say the word love. Because I have a very specific definition of love for myself. And maybe you do too. And maybe it doesn't look like how you were taught love needed to look like. So my perspective on love is that love is not exclusively this airy-fairy thing. I think of love as the primordial element from which we were made of. Think about it. Everything that we are is made of love. Love as the smallest building block of the universe. And because of that, to me, we are all always looking for love. We are all always looking to return to that sense of being completely held, being completely accepted, of complete belonging. Because in some ways, we do belong. In some ways, we are held. In some ways, we're fully accepted. Just our existence on this plane is evidence of belonging. You, you actually belong here because you are here. You are completely accepted here because you are here. You are completely held here because you are here. And this may not be a lens that feels acceptable to some of you at this point. And if that's the case, I want you to inquire, get curious. Why? Why, why is this perspective challenging? For some of you, it may sound amazing. I want you to also inquire, why does this sound amazing? Often we don't see that primordial love reflected back to us in our experience. And to me, part of this is because our brains are wired for a different function. Our brains are not necessarily wired for experiencing this vastness of love that's always available to us. Our brains are wired for survival. And in order to survive, we need to scan for danger, right? And in our relentless search for danger, we find evidence of danger. We find evidence of abandonment. We find evidence that we don't belong. And it doesn't mean that that's not true, right? Danger is part of being alive. Abandonment is part of being alive. Or at least part of the experience of being alive. I don't know if it's the whole truth, but I've certainly felt abandoned in my life. I've certainly felt like I don't belong. So that also is part of being alive, right? In many cases, as modern humans, though, we must also make ourselves see the deeper nuances in order to navigate the situations with clarity, with honesty, in truth, and frankly, just to continue living. Because there's also another part of us that isn't just geared or built for survival, 
right? There's also another part of us that wants to thrive. We want to feel connection. We want to feel joy. And so what do we need in order to get there, right? For me to access the space that's necessary so that I can perceive and feel this deeper nuance, I need that self-compassion. I need to remind myself that ultimately I am just looking to return to that state of love, right? Maybe I did something terrible. What if I was just looking to return to that state of love in the best way that I could in that moment? Maybe somebody did something terrible to me. What if that person was just looking to return to a sense of being loved. And yes, harm was done. We don't want to negate that. We don't want to say that there doesn't need to be some level of balancing. There doesn't need to be some level of restoring some sort of... Yeah, the word balance is what's coming up for me. But also when we start to allow ourselves to see everything as a desire, a manifestation of a desire, a yearning, a search for love, to me personally, something opens up. And maybe to to you, something closes down. I don't know, right? But um, yeah. I'd be really curious to suggest to you, especially since you're here on my podcast, to to play with that, right? To play with what opens up for you. And I can share with you what opens up for me, which is for me, I then become more aware of the reality that we are all humans, Maybe, I don't know, even sometimes what that word means. But we are all walking slightly different paths. We are all in our own curriculum, right? In our own search for what it looks like to return to that state of love. And I don't have to agree with the way that you are doing it. But if I have this perspective then I also have space for something else other than judgment and blaming and anger and hatred, which again are very natural, which again are very much part of the human experience. And the other piece, humor, I think humor is actually, for me right now, humor is a lot more mm, edgy actually. Humor is scarier and it almost feels inappropriate for me to even suggest that at this moment where we're at in the collective. And to me, humor comes from being able to put on this lens that the world is an absurd place, that we do absurd things as humans as beings that are alive in this universe. And what happens if we can acknowledge 
that absurdity without necessarily needing to create a, a story about morality out of this phenomenon. And this will be very, very hard. And maybe you listen to this and you say, Jonathan, that is not accessible to me right now. I honor that. I respect that. But for those of us who can somehow find access to this, what if we allow ourselves to see our absurd actions and reactions for what they are, which is us doing our best and ultimately that best attempt can can have all kinds of different impact, right? But from this place of perhaps suspending judgment towards others, maybe we can also start to find space where we can have a little less judgment, where maybe we can loosen up our own ties towards ourselves. When there's so much destruction, when there's so much strife, I think it's so hard to cultivate the sense of humor, right? So my invitation, if this is something that you want to try, is to scale it down a little bit, right? Humor doesn't have to look like laughing hysterically. Humor doesn't have to look like being happy all the time, right? Again, humor can just be a loosening. For me, my sense of humor looks like this. Catching myself, even as I'm recording this, and noticing myself like getting a little preachy a little bit, you know? <laughs> and just being like, okay, here we go. Here's Jonathan doing Jonathan shit again, right? And just letting it be that rather than following this rabbit trail of what my mind wants to make out of it. And that's, again, not to say that I am trying to ostracize my mind and its functions and this part of me that wants to create stories, right? Not at all. Again, I welcome that as part of my human experience and maybe part of your human experience too. But sometimes, I have been thinking about it like this in terms of the story of Alice. What happens if Alice didn't follow the rabbit who's running around with the clock, right? Because she actually had that option. So similar to that, I also try to put a little bit of space, a little bit of a slowing down, right? What if I catch myself in the act of my own bid for love, my own bid for validation, my own bid for control in order for myself to feel safe. And I just let myself be a little humored by that, right? And not go so deep into all the stories about what that can mean. To me, this is a, a, a huge discipline, actually. This is a practice, right? I say it and it can sound a little bit maybe like avoidance. There there may be a part of us that's like, no, 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 we have to follow every every trail. But I'm telling you right now, it's not possible. If you want to follow every single thought that you have, 
to the ends of the earth, if you want to follow every single emotions, one lifetime is not enough, <laughs> like I said. So in some sense, you know, maybe this is just my own natal Mars and Capricorn, right, saying, but to me, one of the important things, if we do choose to do this deep work of going deeper into parts of us that are scary, into parts of us that are hurting, we also need to have a safe code, right? And we need to prepare, you know, for the eventuality of at some point needing to use that safe code and saying, okay, enough. I don't want to go deeper. I'm good, right? And it's so funny because I've had conversations with friends and colleagues and clients who were a little stunned by this idea that you can have a, a, a way to tell yourself to stop going deeper that sometimes we don't need to to excavate all the way down. That's not always appropriate at all times, right? And also at the same time, this new moon in Scorpio is an absolutely powerful transit to be sitting with the parts of us that may feel challenging to sit with, to reckon with, right? With the presence of Uranus opposing the new moon, I wonder if for a lot of us, this is not even a thing that we need to consciously do, that it will just present itself to us if we signal some level of readiness, right? We may really have to look at these parts of ourselves that we've been rejecting because maybe we fear that acknowledging them will confirm that there is something wrong with us, right? So if this happens, here are some questions that you can sit with what's the story here what story am i making about this part of me and then once that that part has stopped feeling utterly scary to you and completely decimating to be with what i encourage you to ask is who is this part like actually who is this part is this maybe some part of me that I'm still carrying from that time when I was six and something happened, right? Is this maybe a part that I'm bringing from past lives, if that's part of your cosmology? Is this maybe a part that I had to develop in response to a caregiver? And what does this part have to share with you? What does this part want you to know? about you, about the world, about everyone around you, about your relationship with yourself. So here are some practical suggestions. With Mars and the Sun conjoining Neptune, what I would suggest is to create ritual space, to create maybe even a trans space if this is part of your practice or simply a space where you can light a candle and journal with these explorations and create a space that feels supportive to you while you're meeting this part how can you give yourself a little bit of extra encouragement so that you can feel safe being with this part and to give yourself a chance to listen to what wants to be expressed here, 
again, I am very mindful of my own tendency to say that this part will have wisdom to you, for you. I think that's generally true. I haven't really met a part that hasn't had wisdom for me. <laughs> so maybe that is like a, a true thing um, across the board. But your experience with listening to what that part has to express to you may not feel like wisdom in the moment. It may feel crazy. It may feel uh, confronting. It may feel irresponsible. It may feel really scary. So I think lowering the expectations here and just increasing your capacity for curiosity is really the name of the game here, right? I think with the presence of Neptune here, there can be also um, support that we can receive or that we can ask for from um, the other realms, right? The realms that are unseen. Like who, who in the unseen realms are some of your guides, some of your allies, some of your friends as you navigate these terrifying places? Or maybe even not terrifying, but just places that you haven't wanted to see, right? And with Mercury sextiling Venus, what feels supportive to to me is, um, I think this can be done as like maybe an integration practice. If you do decide to create a ritual space or a trance space or even just a cozy space for you to listen to these parts of you, what maybe you can do as a practice for integrating whatever is coming through is to find support from stories. So we're all into stories, or I think most of us are as humans, right? We are st storytelling creatures. And so maybe some of these stories you may want to mine or excavate from mythologies or legends, right? In cultures, uh, lineages that resonate with you. But for some of us, maybe mythologies don't work, you know, and so maybe some of these stories for you come from sitting with the natural world and watching nature and the processes of nature to allow that to support you more deeply. Are there perhaps stories that resonate with these parts that you feel icky with, that you feel scared of? And yeah, just letting yourself be there, you know, be with these stories, be with these characters and see what emerges. Again, I think that I cannot emphasize with astrology like this coming week, being deeply gentle with yourself is, I think, very important and get support get support for anything and everything that is coming up that can really use witnessing that can really use maybe even another person who has a different lens who can be with you as you are navigating these expressions of the parts of you that are potentially volatile potentially unexpected all right, that is it from me by way of contemplation. 
Thank you for sitting here. If you get all the way to this part, I am in awe of you. I am honoring and in reverence to the deep processes that you are moving through. If that's the case, and if not, if you are walking around with a milkshake in your hand, I also will say I honor you and I revere that process. And um, may all of us find peace while simultaneously also the courage to be with what wants our attention in this moment. Thank you so much. I am sending you so much love. Until next time. Thank you.